Apollo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. I, you, sometimes you see these stories that, again, talk about how reckless and out of control things are around here, and, and you don't know what to say. A 64-year-old man intentionally drove a vehicle with a 34-year-old man hanging on the outside of it when he crashed into a parked vehicle. The 34-year-old is in critical condition. The crash happened about 5.20 p.m. Saturday in the 1000 block of West North Avenue. So you're talking kind of the um, east side. The impact of the collision caused the 34-year-old man to be ejected. He suffered life-threatening injuries and was taken to a hospital for treatment. The driver of the vehicle was arrested. So you've got a guy hanging on to a car via the door. You've got a 64-year-old man driving the vehicle and then smashes the car into what an, another vehicle crashes intentionally into a parked vehicle with the idea of injuring, knocking the man who's who's hanging onto the door off. Now, you, you just there's so many questions about this. It's was this sort of like were they doing this for fun? Was this well? You don't think it was an attempted carjacking because they've caused the they've they've charged the driver. What? Why was the 34 year old guy hanging onto the door? Why was the 64-year-old man driving, trying to get the guy off? What exactly was going on? Inquiring minds really want to know, and, and, and we don't. But, but it's just, you know, another half hour in the, on the mean streets of Milwaukee where in the 520 Saturday afternoon, you're driving down North Avenue and there's a car careening down the road, one guy driving, another guy hanging onto the door, smashing into cars. And you wonder why people think that these streets are out of control. All right. Let us start with last evening. Now, as I mentioned, when I was talking to Scott Warris a couple minutes ago last night. Um, I was I had a great time. I, I did our, our Packers watch party and we were at the New Berlin Ale House to watch the, the Packers game and had a really for a Sunday night. I mean, they were saying, well, Sunday night, that don't, we don't tend to draw a lot of people. We had a lot of people that came out. Thank you if you did. Lots of people stayed till the end of the game for chances to win some of our great prizes and stuff. But I, I got a chance to watch the Packers game with a number of you. And it was it, it, it started out really, really bad. Packers fell behind 10 to nothing. And then then they came back and they scored a touchdown. Then they uh, you had the. the, the defensive back who intercepted the pass and ran it back and so all of a sudden it's 14 to 10 and you think the game's going to be just over and the Packers are going to roll but it, it it got worse and then ultimately they end up winning so on the one hand it's no harm no foul but but I guess I was thinking of this and I said it as I was giving out the prizes at halftime and I want to say I got a lot of agreement from the crowd at the New Berlin Alehouse now I I, I leave this up. I generally leave the sports commentary and stuff up to the sports guys and things like that. I just talk about current events. But let us face it. 
The Packers special teams have been a disaster all year. I think you can argue that they're maybe one of the two or three worst teams in the league, which is amazing given the talent that they have. But last night, it was one thing after another. The Packers allowed the Bears punt returner to bring one back for 97 yards. It's the only punt run back for a touchdown in the NFL this year. Brought back another one for 34 yards. They allowed kickoff returns, two kickoff returns of over 40 yards. Uh, Mason Crosby kicked another one out of bounds, giving the Bears the ball at their 40. Um, you had the kickoff returner, Malik Taylor. There, he's, he's getting ready to return a ball. It's going out of bounds. And instead of just letting it go out of bounds, he muffs it, and then the Packers get the ball at the five-yard line. In the fourth quarter, you have Amari Rogers, the punt returner, who all he has to do is catch the ball. It goes through his hands, hits him in the face, and the Bears recover it. Now, it was no harm, no foul, because they called kind of a ticky-tack foul penalty on the Bears um, up the field. But but that could have been really a, a game-changing disaster. And then, of course, you've got the onside kick. The way they've changed the onside kick rules in the NFL, it is almost impossible for the kicking team to recover an onside kick because the the players don't get a big big run-up and stuff like that. Well, the Bears did the almost impossible because uh, Marquez Valdez-Scandling mishandles this onside kick. And again, the the Packers came away with a win, but this has been a problem all year. They've won in spite of truly dismal special teams. And my guess is that, you know, one after another. I mean, most teams... For example, when you kick off the ball, they don't even try to return the ball. They just take it at the 25. Not when you play the Packers. You bring those balls back because you know the special teams are awful. I was half joking when I said this, but only half joking. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I said to the crowd, if I was the coach, if I was the head coach, I would have fired the special teams coach at halftime. I would have fired him on the spot. That was abysmal, but it wasn't just a one-off. This was the culmination of a lot of terrible play. And I understand the coach isn't the one out there making the bonehead plays, but you can't fire the whole team. It would be, you know, what is this guy doing? And, you know, unless there is massive improvement, and there's been no evidence to suggest that there's going to be any sort of massive improvement, they're getting worse, not better, there's no way this team makes the Super Bowl. There's just no way they do, because if you did what they did yesterday against the Chicago Bears, against a good team, this team, it, it, they're, they're going to be out. They would have lost, and they would have lost big. In close games and playoffs, one or two plays determine the, uh, determine the outcome. And does anybody have any confidence that the Green Bay Packers special teams are going to be able to make that play? I would have fired the guy. Now, there is a, I'd have fired him on the spot just to send a message. Now, thankfully, they'd be in Green Bay, so you wouldn't have to buy him a bus ticket to get home from Chicago, but I would have fired him. Now, the Journal Sentinel, one of their beat writers, has a piece saying, well, they're a disaster, but, you know, you, you, we, you shouldn't fire the coach, in large part because there's nobody on the team that you could replace him with. That, they, they don't have anybody else that could do a better job, which I almost find impossible to believe. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I, I guess I say this partially tongue-in-cheek, but only partially, because the truth is the Packers aren't going anywhere. There's not going to be an extended run in the in the postseason unless 
they can figure out how to fix the problems on the special teams, and I just don't know that they've got any idea as to how to fix them. 855-616-1620. We discuss for just one segment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand you can't fire the whole team, but, I mean, seriously, if if last night's debacle on special teams isn't enough to convince the Packers that they've got some major, major problems, and they're not going anywhere unless they figure this out. And let's face it, the Packers special teams have been bad for years. This year, they are a new type of awful. You just don't know what the awful is going to be. Is going to be? Is it going to be a block kick? Is it going to be a missed field goal? Is it going to be, gee, a kickoff that's run back 30 or 40 yards, a punt that's returned 97 yards, a punt returner who can't catch the ball? I mean, you just kind of wonder how bad does it have to be and you know it sooner or later it's going to cost them a game last night they, they got lucky but i think you can argue that it's one of the worst special teams performances this side of pop warner football 855-616-1620 let's start with darren and racine darren you're on wtmj hello yeah hey jeff how are you doing today i'm well thank you what do you think yeah so i i was just telling a screener the uh and and you mentioned that the their special teams have been terrible for uh, at least ten years. Yeah. Um, you know, I, going back to uh, the onside kick against Seattle in the playoffs. Oh, when, uh, oh, don't bring that up. When, yeah, yeah, yes. I was so convinced they were going mean, to the Super Bowl. Oh, they're going to win the Super Bowl. They're going to go to the Super Bowl, and yeah. then no, that's right. They couldn't. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So you know, you, you harken back to that, and then you just move forward from there. Um, especially, you know, this year, uh, Mason Crosby, who, you know, has been has been money, you know, for the last five or six years, missing five, six yep. field goals in a row. Um, yep. What's what's the cause of that? Is it the holder? Is it Crosby just getting old? I, I mean, it's, it's well, there's just it's a culmination of I don't know if it can go back to coaching, but it's a culmination of just bad choices. Or it's got to be bad coaching um, in uh, during the workouts. Well, you, you know, would, you uh, what would, they're being taught. But you would think. I mean, th- thanks for call because because clearly what they're doing isn't working, and, and they've had bad special teams for years. When, when when two coaches ago, when they were looking to replace, they, they they brought in a guy whose name is escaping me now, and he wanted more money than they were willing to pay, so they cheaped out. And, and so, I mean, like the, the explanation, for example, the Journal Sentinel beat writer says, well, the problem is, yes, we understand why people would want to fire the coach now, but they, they have nobody. They, they, the, the, the assistant special team coach has never coached in the NFL before, and so th- there's nothing to suggest that the guy they have, you could get a better coach at this point in time in the year which tells you something when you have this kind of team and i mean it just if last night wasn't enough to send out all sorts of alarm bells i i don't know what would be now a couple people are saying well they have this organizational policy that they they essentially they they put the spuds on um, on the special teams that they don't use their their better players because they they don't want the guys getting injured. Well, okay, I, I understand that, but right now it's getting down to uh, again crunch time. I guess my question is how how long do you do you do that? How and you they, they were able to survive these problems against the Bears. I, I concede that, but 
if you were watching that game last night or listening to the game, it's incredible how badly that team performed, especially considering that it's game, what, 13 of, of the year. I mean, you would have thought that they would be doing things. Well, you wouldn't have even expected professional football players to be saying, oh, the kickoff is going out of bounds. Here, let me just try to grab it right on the sidelines and then muff it and drop it out of bounds. The, the tackling, just absolutely awful. And again, maybe it's either a complete and total lack of personnel or they're not being coached how to play properly. You can't get rid of all the personnel. Maybe it would have been extreme, but I, I tell you, I I still think that my, my reaction would have been, if I was the head coach, that there would have been heads that were rolling, maybe even at half time. Um, no question about it. 855-616-1620. Uh, Jeff, the last good special teams in the Packers was with Desmond Howard. Yeah, that's, I mean, keep in mind, I mean, Desmond Howard, who, you know, was the kickoff returner, who was what the most valuable player in that Super Bowl in New Orleans. But that's, um, you know, think about how long ago that was. And just think about how that's it. Jeff, Bill Belichick started out as an assistant special teams coach. Maybe the Packers should elevate, you know, um, you know, their, their guy. Now, what the Packers need to do is they need to say, we're, we're going to stop taking flyers and treat this like it's not a big deal because it's, is in fact a big deal. And if you watched that game last night, you know it. Jeff, special teams are definitely a glaring weakness and it only brings to mind how important they are. Recall, recall General Desmond Howard returning throughout the season. We won the Super Bowl with him as an MVP at the end. A- absolutely. So to, to me, the Packers have two big problems. They, the offensive line is just beat up, bad shape. What you've got four out of the five starters, uh, with their, their proposed starters who are out with injuries. That's tough to overcome. But day in, day out, week in, week out, the special teams are absolutely terrible. The other teams in the NFL know that they are absolutely terrible and they take advantage of it. And mark my words, unless they can figure it out, and I don't see how they figure it out with the guy that they've got coaching now. Unless they can figure it out, it's going to be their Achilles heel that I think maybe stops from get, getting to the Super Bowl in what might might be Aaron Rodgers' last year in Green Bay. And if that's the case, what a waste. I mean, can, can you imagine if, I don't know, they end up losing by four points to Tampa Bay, not going to the Super Bowl because somebody runs a kickoff return back I don't know, 45 yards after the Packers have taken the lead and gives Tampa Bay position to go in and get a field goal. I mean, that's what they're looking at right now. And again, I would have made an impression. I would have gotten rid of the coach. At least if you fire him when it's a home game, well, he gets to drive home. You don't have to worry about buying him a bus ticket or a train ticket or a plane ticket to get home if you do that on the road. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, get your tickets now for Wisconsin's ultimate drive through holiday experience. WTMJ is proud to support Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. Enjoy millions of lights, three mesmerizing light tunnels, hundreds of inflatables, a rink for ice skating villagers, a nativity scene, and much, much more. To secure your spot now, text the word Christmas to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. It's the Capco's Kids to Kids uh, Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. On that note, a special thank you to everybody who participated in donating funds for our Radiothon last week. It was a huge 
huge, huge success. At the end of the program on Friday, they announced uh, the announcement came out that uh, Mike Nesmith, who was the the quiet monkey, um, he had passed away of natural <laughs> causes at the age of seventy eight. We 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 talked about it just briefly, but if you were a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s, you everybody watched the Monkeys TV show for the first couple of years it was on, and I think a lot of people, at one time, believe it or not, the Monkeys were as big as the Beatles. I know that sounds incredible, but that's exactly the case, and Mike Nesmith was, I think, one of the driving forces behind the Monkeys, and I just, it's just, I think he's going to be missed. If, if you grew up watching the Monkeys, now there's only one of the four Monkeys, Mickey Dolans, who's left alive, and the interesting thing about the Monkeys, of course, is it was a it, it was a TV show about a band, and then the guys who were cast as the actors in the TV show, then they, they tried to become and did become a, a very successful band. Interesting story. So on the heels of the passing of Mike Nesmith, reports come out over the weekend that on Saturday, Ann Rice um, passed away at the age of 80. For those of you who might not be familiar with Ann Rice, she was what they describe as a gothic novelist wrote over 30 incredibly successful books but her she's probably most widely known for the Vampire Chronicles, which was a series of books, and, and the first one was probably the best known of those, Interview with a Vampire, which was published in 1976, and then it really took off when they made it into a movie with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise and Kirsten Dunst um, and Antonio Banderas. So, I mean, there, there was a time where, um, when, when you think about, when you think about gothic horror novelists, it, you, you think about Stephen King, modern age, and I, I think you think about Anne Rice, and and I know that there's a lot of us who grew up reading the Anne Rice books. I, I think Interview with a Vampire is just, it's an incredible book, and I think it, it stands the test of time, um, e- even though it's, you know, going on like 35 years old, it's still it's still an amazing book, actually more than that. Still just an amazing book and well worth a read and incredibly talented and incredibly productive and different reasons for different fame, reason to fame than she acquired fame than Mike Nesmith did. But um, Anne Rice passed away at 80. So um, it's, it's a, clearly a loss to the literary world. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Before we ring in the new year, let's take one last look back. The 10th Annual Wisconsin Sports Awards presents History Made, a celebration of Milwaukee's first title in 50 years and the best in high school, college, and professional sports across the state of Wisconsin. Join ESPN Wisconsin's Jen Lauda and Wisconsin's biggest stars on Saturday, December 18th at 1 a.m. on TMJ4 for the 10th Annual Wisconsin Sports Awards presented by UW Credit Union jockey Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin and Palermo's Pizza. A number of people have run into this. Jeff, I laugh out loud. I have three pet children at the pharmacy. Um, Jeff, at Walgreens, they asked me for our dog's date of birth. I said, I don't know. I I wasn't um, there. Jeff, Sasha is probably going to be on the mailing list now and get offers down the road to join AARP, etc. Um, yeah, that's, um, that's it. Jeff, regarding pet prescriptions and profiles getting set up, it's all about pricing. They want to make sure they don't submit Sasha's drugs to your health insurance company. You may be surprised at how much more expensive it is to buy for a pet than and it is to take it yourself. Yeah, and 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 all that is fine. And I'm, I wasn't I wasn't complaining about the fact that they do it. It just it just never occurred to me 
uh, that, you know, you, you'd go to a pharmacy to get a prescription for your pet and that it wouldn't be under my name. It would be under the name of the dog. But I, I understand all that. And I'm just I just nobody ever told me that. So now I know. And if you ever find yourself in the situation, you will know as well. It's going to be under the name of your dog. <laughs> go figure. All right. We, we talk frequently about crime and how out of control uh, out of control crime is the um, the numbers continue to just be absolutely mind-boggling Scott Warris and I were talking about a couple minutes ago the number of car thefts in the city of Milwaukee all right this year not on a per capita basis we have more cars stolen in Milwaukee population a little bit under 600,000 than they have stolen in the city of Chicago, population 2.7 million. And again, let me, let me just stress that. We're not adjusting for, it's not like per capita. We're talking about raw numbers. We are a city approximately, what, one-fifth the size of Chicago, and we have more cars stolen. The latest numbers, I just pulled them up, so far this year, 998 9,998 cars stolen. So by the time these numbers are clearly old, we have now had over 10,000 cars stolen this year so far in the mean streets of Milwaukee. Last year at this time, there were 4,000 cars stolen. So that's about a 150% increase as cars go flying off the, the streets. But it's not just car thefts. Homicides, which were a record high last year, we're we're going to we're over that now. We're we're over the number of homicides from the record um, last year. Then, when you look at other things, you know the numbers are up for pretty much everything: robbery, aggravated assault, um, you name it. It's it's up, and the reality is that nothing significant is is happening about that. So here's the story out of Southridge, Southridge Mall. In Greendale, one person was arrested. Three are wanted in connection to a series of crimes that began with a Southridge Mall carjacking on Tuesday, December 7th. According to Greendale police, two males displayed a weapon and stole a victim's silver Mercedes in the mall's TJ Maxx parking lot around 2 p.m. Let me stop this. Okay, this, this is someone who gets carjacked at gunpoint. At two o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. So this isn't like two in the morning. This is, you know, prime shopping time. It's two o'clock in the afternoon, Southridge Shopping Center, and somebody gets, again, carjacked at gunpoint. All right. Well, the now stolen Mercedes, so the Mercedes gets stolen on a Tuesday, returned to Southridge Mall on Wednesday, December 8th, around 630. You want to talk about guts. So you, you carjack somebody. If, if you want to talk about how people aren't afraid of law enforcement or getting caught, you re- literally return to the scene of the crime about you know 26 hours later. This time, the stolen Mercedes comes back to Southridge Mall, 6.30 p.m., this time with four, four people in the car. Okay, The four unsuccessfully try to carjack another vehicle in the Macy's parking lot before displaying multiple weapons and carjacking a gray BMW in the Marcus Bistroplex. All right, so 
You, you, you steal the Mercedes, you carjack that, you come back to the scene of the crime. This time you got four people in it. You carjack a gray BMW. At least they've got decent taste in cars. They like expensive foreign cars. Later Wednesday night, Milwaukee police spotted the stolen Mercedes and began a chase. All right. They end up culminating the chase and wait for it, arresting a 16-year-old boy. So, again, you have another one of these situations where you've got juveniles. And and what do we know of all the cars that are stolen? Forget carjacking, just stolen. And the people that have been apprehended, about 50% are 16 years or younger. The BMW and the three occupants have not been found. Well, anyhow, here's the thing. that The story that that they had on Channel 6, which was interesting, starts interviewing, you know, shoppers down in Greendale. And one after another, they're, they're saying, look, you know, we're talking to all sorts of people, and they don't know whether they're going to go back to there for a while. And if they do go back, they're going to go back in with groups of people and not necessarily on their own. Because apparently, this is the idea. You've got people that now recognize that shopping malls around here are targets of opportunity. And the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office reminds people to be alert, use the buddy system if you can, and park and walk in well-lit areas, which is all great advice. But I would argue that the T.J. Marks parking lot at Southridge at 2 o'clock in the afternoon is a pretty well-lit sort of area, but it doesn't stop you from getting car theft, carjacked. Now, I, I bring this up because at the same time this was happening, there's a story out of the Chicago Tribune about how you know, the Miracle Mile down there in Chicago where you've got Michigan Avenue with all the great shops and stuff, how the rampant crime down there is deterring holiday shopping and tourism. Retailers, restaurants, hotels, they're they're trying to beef up security because visitors are staying away in droves, uh, alarmed by the thefts and the assaults and the fact that, you know, they, they just people don't feel safe going into these shopping centers. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I had... Um, my wife took her granddaughter, my granddaughter, out to Mayfair Shopping Center on Saturday, I think, to do a little bit of shopping. And she said there were a lot of people that were out there, and she felt perfectly safe. And, and that's great. But part of the reality here is with all the violence that's going on, with all the car thefts, with all the carjackings, apparently there's lots of people who are thinking, you know, maybe I, maybe I, I don't want to go out. Maybe I don't want to go to the malls. So are these carjackings or these crimes are they changing your shopping behavior at all? Do you think about, gee, if if I go to this particular store, I might come out and my car might not be there, or there might be somebody waiting with a gun to stick it in my face and take my nice car. 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Given all the crime that's out there, I don't see how... I don't see how this can't be in the back of people's minds when they make the decision to go shopping. And it's one of the examples of what happens when we lose control of the streets. And when it comes to crime, we have lost control of the streets. So how is it affecting you, if at all, this holiday season? We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I wouldn't bring this up if this was an aberration. But we're, we are, as I speak, we have probably just had over 10,000 cars stolen in the city of Milwaukee. That's just cars stolen. Okay, the other day, Tuesday afternoon, December 7th, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, um, a shopper gets carjacked at gunpoint. They steal her car. The car shows up again, 
at Southridge parking lot 27 hours later. This time it's got four armed people in it. They're kids. They steal another car. Three of the four are still at large. One is apprehended. He's a 16-year-old, and chances are, if I know the Milwaukee court system, he's probably back out on the street looking for other cars to steal. But a lot of people are now saying, we don't feel safe going to these stores. And given all the real issues that stores have nowadays, these brick-and-mortar stores, if, if you can't be safe, going to, say, Southridge Mall at 2 o'clock in the afternoon during the holiday season on a Tuesday or 5.30 on a Wednesday afternoon, are, are, are people going to go there at all? Um, Jeff, a number of people are making this point. They're saying the mall should put up a sign on the parking lot saying no weapons allowed. Yeah, we, we know how that all works. Um, and they're being facetious, of course. Mary and Grafton. Mary, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Mary. For 10 plus, hi. For 10 plus years, I delivered donations from Ozaukee County, and I brought them to St. Benson House of Peace. But North Avenue is a wicked place to go, and St. Benson's isn't a whole lot safer sometimes. But then two years ago, I had a blowout car tire on the highway going northbound. It took me three hours on the highway. No one would come to take care of my tire. And I have the triple I have all that. Nobody wanted to come near North Avenue. Mm-hmm. So what does that say? So I thought, why am I going down there? This little grandma delivering in the back alley, because that's where I'd have to go. I stopped it because it's just not safe. They don't stop at stop signs, and it got a whole lot worse since we had the peaceful protesting right. going on. I stopped it. So now there's no donations coming from the north anymore from my house. And yeah. it was so sad because I collected of all of Ozaki, and we brought good things there. We yeah. can't do it anymore. It's just not safe. No, thank, thanks. And, and that that is just, and, and some people say, well, it's perception, it's not reality. No, you, you can't look at these numbers. You can't look at 10, it's, we still have a couple of weeks left in the year, and, and over 10,000 cars stolen, and that's not the carjackings. And, and it, it's happening on a regular basis. And th- this idea, I mean, I get it. You know, if if there, you have all sorts of different choices as to where you go and shop, and I'm not encouraging people not to go shop at these stores, but at the same time, if you're if you are risking your life to go to a TJ Maxx at Southridge because you've got a bunch of punks with guns who are going to come up at two o'clock in the afternoon and take your car, well, you do have all sorts of other alternatives. Here's a text, Jeff. I'm definitely concerned. I never go to malls, and if I have to go to a store, I go to a single big box store that has a security car and. Then I only go during uh, daylight hours. A couple people, let's see, um, one of our texters say that I was I was there over the weekend, and I expected to see a, I went to Southridge yesterday afternoon, won't be returning anytime soon, was expecting a large police presence. It was completely and totally absent, which is a, a very unfortunate thing to, to say, but at some point in time, people vote with their pocketbooks. And if you get to a situation where you say, gee, I'm not sure I'm going to be safe if I'm going to one of these places, well, that, that's how that's how malls die. That's how stores die. Ron in Janesville. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, I, I'm kind of regular listener as I can be, and I, I totally agree. I, I used to love to go to Mayfair. I'm, I know I had my sister live down in that area, and I won't go there anymore. And uh, from what I hear what's going on, I worry about the carjackings. And as I told you, screener, I, I've got a concealed carry permit, but I really haven't carried uh, right. any weapons. But 
when I go to Milwaukee or I go someplace else, I do have it because yeah. uh, I do worry about being stopped at a stop sign by somebody parking in front of me and coming up behind me and yeah. dragging me or my spouse out of the car. And, and uh, believe me, my wife gets nervous. You shouldn't have that as well. I don't know Milwaukee well enough to not get to the wrong neighborhood, and I'm in trouble. Well, you know, and the truth is, yeah, Ron, yeah. I don't know what the wrong neighborhood is anymore. I mean, this, these are carjackings we're talking about down in, you know, in, in Greendale at Southridge Shopping Center. No, thanks for the call. I mean, that that that's kind of the issue. I, I this is, you, you can, I'm not trying to spread panic and things, but this is now, and I grew up around here. This is not, this is now something that is in my mind. I don't drive a Honda. I, I don't drive a, uh, a Hyundai. I don't drive a Kia. But I, I told this story two weeks ago, a week ago Saturday, went down to the Paps Mansion. They do this, they decorate it for Christmas. Um, our grandson was singing in the choir. We wanted to go see it and stuff. But I mean, it is in the back of my mind as I am parking, you know, on Wisconsin Avenue or parking in one of the parking lots. It's like, okay, is the car going to be here when, when I come out? And, and that's, that is a real concern. And if city leaders don't think that that's going on, that they need to wake up and they need to recognize that this crime is is affecting people. Because, for example, suburban shoppers, hey, I'd like to go spend money. I want to go check out the stores at Southridge or whatever. Oh, that that's all great. But, oh, we've got 16-year-olds with guns who are carjacking people, and then they are so brazen that they come back in the same stolen car the next day, except this time they've got a couple more of their low-life buddies who are all armed with the arm to the teeth. If you don't think this affects commerce, if you don't think crime scares off people, well, you're not paying attention. And they're seeing it in Chicago, and we're sure as heck seeing it in Milwaukee. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, follow-up. I, I think I talked about this with Mike Spaulding on, on Friday. It's, um, do you, were you a fan of Sex in the City? I have to tell you, I wasn't really a fan. I, right. I watched some episodes, but I wasn't diehard. There were some people out there that were couldn't miss right. an episode. Right. It never, I mean, I was familiar with it, but, you know, it had like a five or six year run on, mm-hmm. on HBO. And I, I never, I mean, I understand it was a pop cultural thing. So because I try to keep up with pop culture, I, I would check in every once in a while. But not surprisingly, I mean, I wasn't the target audience exactly. for it. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so you had Sex in the City and mm-hmm. then it kind of ran its course. And then they had two movies that really weren't that successful. But the, the, the HBO has now brought it back, and there it's they've they've done a reboot of it, and the show is called and just like that, it's getting horrible reviews. I mean, all across the board, horrible reviews. Well, three of the original characters, and there's Samantha, that's Kim Cattrall. She, she never decided right. to join back up, which right. could have been a smart decision. Right. And so it's getting it's just getting horrible re- reviews. And I, again, I. I I take that with a grain of salt, but there's so much more stuff that I can watch. It's not on my list. But if you've been following the controversy, and and we have a spoiler alert, but the show dropped on Thursday. So I think most people that were into this are aware. You you probably watched it. And if you haven't, it's been written about a lot. So I I don't feel bad about giving this up because it it leads to this larger issue. But in, in the new reboot... Um, the character Carrie, the, the Jessica Parker character, mm-hmm. she, during the movie, she got married to her, her boyfriend, Mr. Big, Mr. Big right? Mm-hmm. Chris Knott. And so they're, they're, the way the, the reboot picks up in the first episode, they're, they're married. And at the end of the episode, all during the episode, apparently he's, he's featured working out like on one of those Peloton exercise bikes, the really expensive things. And at, following a workout, he dies at the end of the episode. And so that's, 
that's what starts this the, the, that impels the next like nine episodes. It's like dealing with grief, which, gee, what a funny pre- premise, you know, the love of your life dies, you know. But anyhow, he dies on a Peloton bike. And so this has got Peloton says they didn't know they agreed to allow the bike to be used, you know, because it's this whole product placement thing. But they didn't have script approval, and they say they had no idea that the guy was going to die using the Peloton. Well, I'm guessing he had bike. like a heart attack, right? Yeah, like the bike didn't flip over on him. No, no, yeah. right, right, <laughs> right, no, no. Yeah, but he, but he had a heart attack yeah. doing that. Yeah. Well, anyhow, the Peloton stock. Well, Peloton stock was at like 117 at the height of the pandemic. Right now, it's down to 33. So, it, but but it, it dropped several bucks a share mm. to its all time to its 52 week low after this happened because it's like, okay, here we have the our, our bike is featured. I know the guy's riding the bike, and now he he's died. So um, again, it's that product placement. But interestingly. Peloton is responding. And so over the weekend, they rolled out a new ad with Ryan Reynolds, the guy from uh-huh. Deadpool or whatever. And um, they're, they're, they're apparently this, it's narrated by him. And it also features, uh, you know, the, the big, Mr. Big character, Chris Noth, who's shown riding the bike. And he's like, okay, well, here, you know, here, here's, you know, here, here, he's really still alive in real life and you don't need to worry about it. And apparently it's kind of a funny thing, but it does kind of show how if you're yeah, a, a little bit of a backlash, yeah. Well, you got to be conscious mm. of that stuff because you just never know how it's going to be used. That's crazy. I remember at the height of the pandemic, I looked into getting a Peloton and there were none available because everybody, they were on back order and right. they were just really popular. I know they're still popular, but maybe well, not quite as much as they well, were Well, and also year. that caused that, that caused part of the problem, too, for exactly what you're saying. They, they kept taking orders and taking people's money, even though they weren't able to deliver them for four or five or six months. And so they, they got this backlog, and you, know, you had a whole bunch of money in, but people ended up getting upset about mm-hmm. that, that they, they couldn't get them. I, I've never understood, and I have to say this, my, my stepdaughter has one. I know people that have them, and, and they love it. To me, I just don't get the few. I mean, you, you can get really good exercise. You can. I was just going to say that. For, you can find other without, ones that... without spending 2000 bucks. <laughs> and, and then, of course, yeah. the, the big thing is then you sign up for the, the Internet videos. stuff. And, and that's where they really make even more money and stuff. But it's I, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a fad or not. I know the people that have the Peloton bikes love them. All I know is the stock has dropped from like 117 down to 33 this All year. All I would say is that if you're spending two, three thousand on on a bike with you know extra equipment, I would love to have my videos included with that, and not have to you know buy a subscription for videos monthly. That would well, be nice if it was included. Well, yeah, yeah again, but it, but you know that that's their formula for mm-hmm. making money. But it was sort of interesting because Peloton's had some issues, and I have no comment on the quality of the product and stuff but again i can imagine that the folks at peloton oh our our, our bike's going to be featured in the, the new reboot of sex in the city oh the guy dies of a heart attack while he's riding the bike oh, maybe that's not what we wanted yeah. to send but in any event um, they're they're trying to make lemonade out of lemons and they responded with this this ad and i guess it, it just goes to show that maybe sometimes if you're into product placement or whatever you perhaps want to um i don't know maybe get script approval or something because i i know you know melissa i know with with, with music, there, there's a lot of bands and stuff that are very, very persnickety. Like, if, you know, you have a movie producer um, who will contact 
such and such band and ask for the rights to use this song. And a lot of them are very, very. They they want to screen these out because they want to know what type of movie the what type of movie the song is going to be featured in and what's the scene that's going to be featured in it. Well, it's interesting you say that covering political events. Any song that you know, sometimes you hear backlash of that. Sure. A certain artist saying, "I don't want you to play that at your rallies because I don't support your politics." But right. again, product placement in a way. Right. It's how, it's how you work that out. Okay. When we come back. Philadelphia joins L.A., New York, and a couple other cities. Should we do here what Philadelphia is doing? I will explain. We will discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This weekend is your first chance to hear the brand new WTMJ holiday radio show, It's a Wonderful Career, starring Gene Miller and the WTMJ players, which includes myself, plus surprise visits from some of your favorite personalities from around the Badger State. Tune in this Saturday at 4 and Sunday at 9 for the WTMJ holiday radio show, It's a Wonderful Career, sponsored by Gruber Law Offices, Drake & Associates, and Dave Drake Camp Heating, it also all benefits Capco's Kids to Kids Toy Drive. So be sure to check that out. Okay, let, let's let's review the bidding on COVID. We know <clears throat> that as the weather turns colder around here and in, in many, many states, I think the last numbers I saw were like 30 states, the number of people with COVID have gone up. The number of hospitalizations have gone up, despite the fact that more and more people are are vaccinated. What we also know is that, by and large, the people that are hospitalized with COVID are people who are unvaccinated and or people who are in those those target risk groups that we, we've heard about from the beginning, namely, you know, people over the age of 65 and people with underlying health conditions. And the more underlying health conditions you get and the older you are, the the more chance it is that if you get COVID, you're going to have to, you're going to have a bad result, which is why, especially for people who are in those at-risk categories, at least in my opinion, it's more important than ever that people get vaccinations. So right now in Wisconsin, we're at about 60% vaccinated, and I, I don't know what the numbers of the people who are vaccinated, what percentage of people have gotten boosters, but we're at about 60%. And I think the reality is, I, I think that that number is going to be pretty static. I mean, by this time, you know, we've, we've had vaccinations now for, what, nine months or so? And so I think most of the people who have made the decision to get vaccinated probably have gotten vaccinated. And the people who've made the decision not to, I, I don't know what more you can do out there to compel them to get vaccinated. So I, I think maybe if more employers require this, you know, you, you can up the numbers a, a little bit. But I, I essentially, I kind of think it, it is, it largely is what it is. And if the goal is to figure out a way to get 80% of Wisconsin's population vaccinated, I just don't see how you're going to do it. I just, as a practical matter. So we're now at the stage of figuring out how it is that you, you live with, with COVID. And do you recognize that there's going to be spikes of COVID, for example, in the upper Midwest, uh, where it's getting colder now, people are inside more and it's COVID spreads easier inside. Is that going to be, you know, is it going to be the new normal that every year we go through stuff like this? So what the latest news out of Philadelphia and Philadelphia is going through a, a spike, just like we're going through a spike here, Philadelphia Uh, Starting January 3rd, here is what their requirement is. January 3rd, um, patrons 
of people who want to eat inside are going to be required to show proof of a vaccination. Now, from January 3rd till the 17th, you can also show a negative COVID test from the last 24 hours to enter. But after January 17th, you need proof of vaccination to go into any of the following establishments, any indoor restaurant spaces, any bars, any cafes within larger spaces like museums, any sports venue that includes, uh, that serves food and drink. All right, so that would, if it applied here, it would be the, uh, you need proof of vaccination to get into the Bucks games, to the Fiserv, that would be it, or to the, uh, whatever they call the Milwaukee Arena now, where the Admirals play. You need proof of vaccination to go to movie theaters, bowling alleys, entertainment venues like theaters or concert halls that serve food or drink, conventions where food is served, catering halls, casinos, food court seating areas. Um, The following establishments are exempt from the regulations, schools and daycares, hospitals, soup kitchens, and other providers for special populations. You don't need a mask if you go to a soup kitchen. You don't need a mask. I'm sorry, you don't need a vaccination to go to a grocery store. Don't need a vaccination to go to a convenience store or other establishments that sell food or drink for off-site consumption. You would, however, need a vaccination to go, say, to a bookstore. Let's say you're going to a Starbucks if they have a a cafe in the middle of Starbucks. You, You need one there, but you don't need one to go to a grocery store or a soup kitchen. But but this is what they're saying. They're saying, okay, starting January 17th, no exceptions to this. If you are not vaccinated, you cannot go into these places. The burden of enforcement is on the business, and the business can be fined up to $2,000 for every violation. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, as somebody who has, in fact, been vaccinated and has his booster, and I've got the card. Something like this doesn't affect me other than the, the modest inconvenience of having to show my vaccination card or you know the documents I have demonstrating this. So this does not affect in any way, shape, or form my ability to go anywhere I want to go. You know, So if we were to adopt this here, I, I could do it. At the same time, I know that there's 40% of the population around here who are, in fact, not vaccinated, and you wouldn't be able to go to bars or restaurants if local communities ended up doing this. So let's tee this up, 855-616-1620. Should communities around here do this? And if, for example, let's say the city of Milwaukee did it, and no place in Waukesha County did it, or no place in Ozaki County did it, or no place in Washington County did it. All right, would it make sense for people in Milwaukee to do it? And if you did it in Milwaukee, what would be the practical effect of it? Would people, I don't know, be motivated to uh, get the vaccinations, or would they simply say, I'm going out to Waukesha County to have a meal? And I guess related to this, does it make sense When we look at, for example, is this where COVID is spreading? Is it spreading with people going into restaurants or instead is it spreading with, I don't know, people going to to large house parties and gatherings in people's basement? 855-616-1620. What do you think about mandatory vaccination cards as a prerequisite for getting into bars, restaurants and other places that you serve food? We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Okay, we're going to pick it up right af- right here, right after the news. Philadelphia is now becoming the latest major city to say if you want to essentially go to any establishment where you dine, bars, restaurants, um, areas, coffee shops, inside of bookstores, for example, theaters, whatever, you have to be able to prove that you have been vaccinated. Right now, fully vaccinated is your first two doses of Pfizer or Moderna or one dose of, of the J&J vaccine. My guess is that's shortly going to be fully, you're going to have to have your booster shot to be considered fully vaccinated. But right now, it's only whatever the prescribed original dose is. All right, should we do something like that here? And what would be the effect on business if, say, you tried to do it in Milwaukee County, for example, and the surrounding counties did not follow suit. Plus, the larger question is, that does it does it really make any sense? Is it going to make any significant difference? Is that where COVID is spreading? Or is perhaps the spread of COVID more likely when you have, I don't know, the, the 30 people that get together at the house party? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, Philadelphia is becoming the latest city to say that if you want to go to either a bar or a restaurant, and we're not just talking about like standalone bars or restaurants, we're talking about a coffee shop inside a Barnes and Noble store, for example, um, or a place that serves food like the like an arena. You want to go see a Philadelphia 76ers basketball game. Since they serve food inside, you have to show proof that you have been vaccinated. Right now, it's, it's just the, the two doses or one dose of J&J, but I'm sure that that's going to go up to another one. And my question is, would, would something like this work around here? 855-616-1620. Candidly, I, I think it's a non-starter, and, and I'll explain why. And this is, again, from the perspective of somebody who has his vaccination and has the the booster. I think what's going to happen is that if you, for example, if the city of Milwaukee, which Lord knows has a lot of issues already, we've talked about crime and stuff. If the city of Milwaukee were to say, okay, to go into bars and restaurants, you need to be vaccinated. Right. Well, I, I think that there's a lot of people who've been going into those bars and restaurants that would simply say, fine, we're not going to go into bars and restaurants in the city of Milwaukee. We're heading out to New Berlin. We're heading out to West Dallas. And if you tried to do it in Milwaukee County, you would have people who, um, again, would say, okay, well, we're going out to Ozaki County, or we're going to Waukesha County, or we're going to Racine County, or whatever. People, I, I think people rightly or wrongly, are dug in on on their positions on vaccinations. The other thing that I I think gets lost in all this is, is where is the data? You know, we have been told to follow the science. And to me, the real fundamental question is... You know, what, what, let's talk about contact tracing. Where, to the extent that there is a spread of COVID going on now, new cases, where is that coming from? Is it coming from the fact that people are at bars and restaurants, is it and some people might not be vaccinated? Is that where they're getting it? Is it coming from the fact that you have people at schools, for example, and that's where they're getting it? I, I think before you simply say, okay, we're going to pick out a certain segment of business and we are going to impose requirements on those businesses that we don't require and don't impose on other places, you need to be darn sure that that's that's where the cause is. I mean, is it all right, you know, if we've got an outbreak in, uh, I, I don't know, on the east side of Milwaukee, 
and we're noticing that it's a lot of of younger people, UWM students. Okay, well, is it is let's just if for example, that's my example. Is it because they're going to you know a restaurant or a bar, or is it because they're going to a house party? And if that's the answer, if you're tracing it back, for example, to house parties, does it make any sense to say, okay, well, we can't regulate that, but we're going to regulate the bars? If if you're putting that requirement in for like a sporting event, do, do you need to have evidence of that? I mean, if the idea is we're going to impose a requirement like this on everybody who goes to Miller Park, because part of it could be indoors and you've got the restaurants and stuff there. All right. Do you need to see is any of the spike due to you know people who are going to Miller Park? Don't we need to, if we're going to follow the science, really figure out what the science says? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Um, Jeff, I think it's a great idea, but I think it would have to be statewide. And that's what Taylor says. And the problem is it it's not going to be statewide. I think it's very clear that under the law, the governor doesn't have the requirement, doesn't have the authority legally to put it in statewide. So it has to be community by community, which means that, you know, people can, in fact, travel and, and they can avoid it. But again, my my larger point of this is if you're even going to start talking about these things and picking winners and, and losers, all right, we're, we're not going to require it for grocery stores. We're not going to require it for convenience stores. We're not going to require it for soup kitchens. We're not going to require it for these things. Well, okay, don't you have to be able to say, all right, we, we know for sure that this is where COVID is spreading. And if that's the goal, well, then you can kind of make that case. Gee, we've noticed that there's been, you know, 2,000 cases that have been reported recently, and we've been able to trace 65 or 70 percent of them back to people who are eating in restaurants or going to bars. Well, at least that way you can make the argument that you've got the numbers that support it. So far, there's not too many people um, who are bringing that up. 855-616-1620. Jeff, taken to the extreme, are we skipping into the can we see your papers, please, comrades? Well, I mean, I guess the argument would be, well, nobody says that you have to go to, you know, a restaurant or a bar or anything like that. So I guess that's the argument. But yes, we, we are creating a, a two-tiered sort of system. And again, this is coming from the perspective of somebody who believes, who's, who's gotten vaccinated. And so this, this doesn't affect me. I mean, for me, it, it's, if you were to impose a rule like this, it's no problem. Got the vaccination card. I've got it on my phone. No, no problem. So, I mean, I, I just show it and I go where I end up wanting to go. But I'm not sure that imposing that's going to make me any safer. And I'm not convinced at all that it's going to make the people who are unvaccinated any safer. If we accept the fact that the people who are unvaccinated are exponentially more likely to get COVID. Well, in many cases, all we're doing is we're kind of treating them as pariahs and we're saying, okay, you can now only socialize with other people who are unvaccinated, which arguably might make it even more risky for them because while it is true that people who are fully vaccinated can nevertheless carry it, that's that's the unicorn. That's the rare situation here. Um, no question about it. Um, 855-616-1620. Then a number of people are saying things like one of our texters here that says that, you know, this has been a cluster from the start. Um, 
you know, the cold is a virus. Um, so, you know, that, that spreads. We didn't know how the thing spread. Or we spent all this time worrying about we've got to clean up surfaces and things like that. And now we recognize that that's pretty much been a waste of time because coronavirus doesn't spread from, you know, contact with desks and things of the like. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think that people who live in some of these urban areas may be unjustly targeted if they say you need to show vaccination passports. Um, and again, that, that's, that becomes the issue if you have a disproportionate, um, member of number of minorities for example who are are vaccinated and you're now saying to those folks you can't go into a particular place because you've made the choice not to get vaccinated at what point in time do you say okay well now we're discriminating jeff i think it's a poor plan so you want the establishment to enforce it and you're going to find the establishment if someone isn't vaccinated that's business crushing. You're hurting the businesses that are already struggling. I believe it's overreaching by the government. Let's flip the story and say we find the individual. So you're going to have the establishment call the police to enforce the requirements. Pretty sure people will not go to the place. Again, it's business crushing. By the way, I too, like you, am vaccinated. I just think it's a really bad idea. This and then this is this is what's being passed around, though, in a number of urban areas, and people are accepting of it. I guess I look at it, I understand the motivation, trying to force people to get vaccinated. I think that as a practical matter, though, that's not going to move the needle. I mean, I think if people, like I say, after nine or ten months have made the decision not to get vaccinated, the fact that you're not going to be allowed to go into a particular bar in the city of Milwaukee, for example. I don't think that's going to motivate people to get vaccinated. It's just going to make them go to a bar in in West Dallas or something like that, or outside of Milwaukee County, if that works, or tend to socialize in private settings with other people who are unvaccinated, therefore perhaps even making the spread of COVID worse. Now, if we want to encourage vaccinations, there's got to be other ways to do it. But these vaccine mandates or proving that you're mandated, you're vaccinated in order to get into a bar, I I just I don't think it's going to work, period. I guess time will tell. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, I hate to t- say I told you so. Well, not always, but but I did tell you that this was going to be one of the effects. A number of hospital um, hospital systems nationwide imposed requirements on their employees that they have to be vaccinated, um, have to have COVID vaccinations. And and the dates kind of vary. They, they've done it around here as well. And, you know, some we have to be vaccinated by November 1st and some November 15th. And the dates have, have varied. But... And a lot of people that work in hospitals have made the decision to get vaccinated. But there are, depending on the hospital system, number of places where they've lost a number of people. And by say, I mean a number. I, I, maybe, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 10%. And you might say, oh, 90% of the people got vaccinated. Well, that's great. But when you're dealing with a healthcare shortage and you lose, for example, 10%, 15% of your workforce, that creates a huge huge problem. So much so that now in Wisconsin, for example, you've got the governor who's talking about 
He, he wants FEMA workers to come in, and he wants National Guard nurses to help make up for hospital staffing shortages as COVID-19 surges. So, you know, we're, we're trying to put Band-Aids on this problem that you've got COVID surging, but you don't have, you know, you don't have enough hospital workers. Well, one of the reasons why you don't have enough hospital workers is the fact that a number of hospital workers have stepped down because they've chosen not to get vaccinated. And this is something that, at least in my opinion, was completely and totally predictable, and, and it's starting to happen. Well, here's the, the latest development, and this is out of the Wall Street Journal today. Some hospitals are now dropping COVID-19 vaccine mandates in order to ease labor shortages. Um, after a judge halted the Biden administration's mandate for healthcare workers to get vaccinated, that's been put on hold, and I think most people think that it's probably going to be overturned ultimately. Employers are now, in these healthcare systems, are now removing the requirement. Let me share the story from this morning. Some of the largest U.S. hospital systems have dropped COVID-19 vaccine mandates for staff. Hospital operators, including HCA Healthcare and Tenet Healthcare, as well as nonprofits Advent Health and Cleveland Critic, Cleveland Clinic, are dropping the mandate. Labor costs in the industry have soared, and hospitals have struggled to retain enough nurses, technicians, and even janitors to handle higher hospitalizations in recent months as the Delta variant raged. Vaccine mandates have been a factor in constraining the supply of healthcare workers, according to people in the healthcare industry. Many hospitals struggled to find workers, including nurses, before the pandemic. Um, those shortages have been compounded by burnout among medical workers and the lure of high pay rates offered to nurses who travel to hot spots on short-term contracts. More recently, thousands of nurses have left the industry or lost their jobs rather than get vaccinated. As of September, 30% of workers at more than 2,000 hospitals across the country surveyed by the Center for Disease Control were unvaccinated. Um, it's been a mass exodus, and a lot of people in the healthcare industry are willing to go and shop around. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Given all those factors, it, you, you've got the burnout that's going on. You've got the fact that some healthcare workers, by essentially leaving their hospital and becoming a, a, a traveling, you know, a, a, essentially a nurse for, for rent and you're going to different places for three or four months, they, they can make a lot more. So those are issues. But there's, it's unquestioned that there has been a percentage of people who have been driven out of their jobs by their refusal to get vaccinated. So now you have a number of healthcare systems who are saying, tell you what, we need the people, so we are going to drop this requirement. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It seems to me that when you face the reality, look, at and intellectually, I understand the argument. I've understood the argument since this issue came up. But you know, using FEMA nurses or using, you know, calling up National Guard nurses, that 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 can that can work for a little time, but it doesn't solve the underlying problem. I mean, you you can't have the National Guard on permanent duty, you know, being nurses in in understaffed hospitals. You can't have FEMA here permanently. At the end of the day, you have to figure out how to catch up with the the medical chain supply issue and if 
if you've lost 10 or 15% of your medical personnel because of this vaccination rule, a number of hospitals are rolling it back. Should we do that around here? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Couple text, Jeff, National Guard nurses don't come from thin air. They're just going to be pulled from other clinics, which will create new problems. Um, yeah, there is that issue. Jeff, where are these nurses coming from? Doesn't this cause a shortage from where they came from? I think that's a, a fair question. Uh, but but the underlying issue is now you're, you're seeing a lot of hospitals who are saying, all right, that this vaccination requirement sounded good, sounded good at the time, but we've got these huge shortages and we're going to roll them back. Let's talk to Katie in Oak Creek. Hi, Katie. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Good. The what? same exact thing that's happening in Iowa. I was there for Christmas dinner over the weekend, and my sister was a manager at a state-run nursing home there, and the hospitals were poaching nurses from there. They were offering them $105 an hour right. uh, last Saturday and Sunday. So they told my sister, they said, we can't pass that up. We'll take the 1.5 points hit. I'm calling in sick with you because we can pass up that kind of Right. So, I mean, it's it's just so the, the effect is your your sister's got to figure out how to deal with this. So she's losing people because they're, they're just there's not enough people to go around now. Exactly. Exactly. And they have a quarter, too. They have to have so many nurses in there yeah. on their floors. Everything. Yeah. No, it, so, it, yeah, it's going to be rough. It, it is. No, th- thanks for calling, which is, again, why a lot of and look, I understand intellectually, I understand you know, the idea, we, we want to force everybody to get vaccinated. But as I've been saying for months, when you're dealing with shortages, and the nursing home situation is particularly acute, when you're dealing with these shortages, and, and you're, you're suddenly going to say to 10 or 15% or whatever the number is going to be of your staff, we're, you're, you're, you're going to be gone? Well, you're starting to see how this works. Um, here's a text. Jeff Freighter, this is one of the places that requires the vaccine. My wife, she got the vaccination. Now what is costing the hospital, because of the shortage of employees, they are begging the current employees to work overtime and are having to pay them $14 an hour above and beyond the time and a half rate for overtime hours to entice them to work the extra hours and pick up the slack from the other missing employees. Yeah, th- this is... This is the effect of this, and it's why you have a number of hospitals who are saying, look, we, we appreciate the vaccination requirement. We want to encourage people to get vaccinated, and we understand. But in the real world, Mr. Biden, in the real world, this is just not working out. And you can patch it up temporarily with FEMA nurses and, and National Guard nurses, but it doesn't solve the fundamental problem. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. Uh, during the break, a couple interesting texts came in about what we were talking about. The the And, and see, to me, there's just... A disconnect with reality, which is what we're going to lead into what we talk about the first part of this hour as well. I, I understand sitting around in Washington, you've got Joe Biden and some of his advisors who say, well, what we want to do is we want to impose federal mandates requiring that hospitals and nursing homes have all their employees vaccinated because we think it's a good thing to be vaccinated. Okay, got it. I, I understand the thinking. But the problem is in the real world, what happens when your employees 
decide, well, we don't want to get vaccinated. And you say, well, you're going to lose your job. Okay, well, that's great. You're, you're going to lose your job. Well, that, and you assume that that means that everybody is going to, all right, just not want to lose their job, so they're going to get vaccinated. Well, okay, that, that sounds great on paper, but it's the real world that you deal with, and we're now starting to see that real world. Now, in, in many cases, the vaccination requirements, you know, worked to the extent that people who might not otherwise have gotten vaccinated got vaccinated. Okay, that's all well and good. But in an area where you have a shortage of workers, like healthcare workers, nurses, people that are working at nursing homes, et cetera, et cetera, where there's already a shortage, and depending on where you look, the, the numbers are maybe about 20%, you know, the 20 to 25% of the jobs in healthcare were already vacant before this. So you're already down. And then all of a sudden, on top of that, you say you got to get vaccinated. Well, Okay, so even if it's only 5 or 10 or 15%, I, I say only, when you don't have enough nurses, uh, janitors, whatever, in the first place, and then you then take 10 or 15% off of that, you end up with these huge shortages, which are why a number of hospital systems, large hospital systems across the country, are now dropping the vaccine mandate because they, they don't want to lose any more people and they want to be able to attract more people back. And right now, the governor, Tony Evers in Wisconsin, he's trying to he's trying to stick fingers in the, the, the leaky you know dike by by saying, OK, well, we're we're going to ask for X number of FEMA nurses or we're going to ask for you know people from the National Guard to come in. But those National Guard nurses are that means they're going to be leaving their place of employment. So it's you're you're chasing yourself it's kind of like the gambler that's you know lost a bunch of money and now is trying to double down to win that money back you're you're doing that same thing and long term it's just not sustainable which is again why a lot of these major healthcare systems are saying we'd love our employees to be vaccinated but th- this requirement just isn't working here's a text jeff i'm an er nurse for aurora the staffing shortage is so critical they are paying nurses an extra $60 an hour. There are days I make over $100 an hour. I know nurses that work for Freighter that are making more. And to which my response was, hey, that, that's great money, but you wonder how long hospitals and nurses can sustain, sustain the increased costs and hours. And she responds, true. It, it does concern me for what the long-term effect of this is going to be. Jeff, my wife is a supervisor at a nursing home and an assisted living facility. They have a $20,000 sign-on bonus for RNs. They cannot even get applications. So again, I just, I, I bring this up because so many times you you see things that sound good on on paper and and you understand and then in the purely intellectual sense well yeah everybody should be vaccinated if you're working in healthcare you should be vaccinated so we're going to put in this rule and you're not going to be able to work unless you're vaccinated and of course this means we think that everybody's going to get vaccinated well i've been telling you for months there is a certain percentage that aren't and now that that's that's the reality that you're dealing with, and it's why maybe some of these big healthcare systems are saying, "Well, never mind. We're, we're dropping the mandate because we need the bodies." In in the whole category of be careful what you wish for. This is another story, and we talked about it months ago from California, but it it's actually it's a movement that some people are trying to spread across the country, and it's really. Literally, you have chickens coming home to roost because there is a law 
that was passed by one of these like voter referendums in 2018, and it goes into effect in January, which will, if it is not delayed by the courts, it is going to dramatically increase the cost of certain consumer goods in California starting in early January. Back in 2018, California passed one of these laws which set all sorts of of standards for farm animal protection. And it essentially said that if stuff is going to be sold in California, the eggs, the chickens that lay the eggs have to have certain conditions. And in particular, you know, pigs that are going to be slaughtered, it's the food chain, slaughtered for um, bacon and pork chops and things like that, that there's certain requirements, namely that they can only be housed in particular areas and they have to have so much room for this and all. Okay, so that's that's the idea. The idea is, okay, we, we want to make the life of a pig that's being raised for slaughter, we want to make it better. All right, I, I, I get it. I, I understand the theory behind this. Well, here here's the problem, and this is what's playing out. California consumes about 15% of the pork in the nation, okay? California, though, only produces about 4% of the pork. The vast majority of pork that's, compor- that's, um, that's consumed in this country, it comes from Iowa, all right? So the problem is, and this is what the, the folks in Iowa are saying, they're saying, look, we can't make money. We have a way of doing business, and and we have... This is we, we keep the pigs in these particular, you know, cubicles and things like that, and they're this size. And for us to expand the size of that would cost us millions of dollars. And the only way that we could get this money back would be to make huge investments, and then we'd, we'd get it back by increasing our prices over a, a period of time. And we're not going to do that just for one state. So you've got that going on. In addition, the way the California rules would work is you have to okay, so like you, you have a you have a pork producer in Wisconsin who raises the pigs and then they send them off to Iowa to be processed and then maybe they go somewhere else to be turned into bacon and then they end up in California. This would require those rules apply at, at each at each state of the process, at each stage of the process. So California would have inspectors that would go out and swarm across the country determining, all right, you know, where where are all these hogs coming from? And, gee, does this come from a farm that complies with these rules or a farm that doesn't comply with these rules? And it, it almost becomes an unworkable sort of thing. But the bottom line is this is going into effect in early January. Right now what's been happening is the producers in, in California have been buying incredible quantities of pork chops and bacon and freezing it. <laughs> so, so that, because the, the law does, doesn't apply to stuff before like January 1st. So they're, they're trying to stockpile stuff as long as they possibly can so that you can solve the problem at least on a short-term basis. But if this law isn't rolled back, what's going to happen is the cost of Say a, a pound of bacon, they estimate it's going to go up probably sixty to seventy percent. Same thing is true with with pork chops and stuff like that. 
And they're wondering how this is going to impact, you know, people in, in California who are used to having bacon and eggs or pork chops, you know, and potatoes for dinner and things like that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just like lots of ideas that start in California, they end up spreading. So I, I think everybody appreciates that, you know, animal rights is, is an important sort of thing. But right now, you have a way of doing business, and one state is trying to force other states to try to comply with that. And so far, it's not working, and the result is that consumers in California are going to have to pay a ton more for the product or stop eating pork chops and stop eating bacon and things of the like. Our number, 855-616-1620. All right, noble cause. But does it make sense in the real world? And if the effect of this is to drive up the cost of your, your bacon by 50 or 60% per pound, is it something that's worth it? And how does that affect the people who, for example, have the least amount of money if now you're, you're pricing the pork chops and you're pricing the bacon and things of the like out, out of people's price range? 855-616-160. We discuss. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Uh, one of our texters says this is the law of unintended consequences. It is. California voters swayed by, oh, you know, we, you know, it's it, it's terrible. You look at some of these conditions that some of these animals that are raised for slaughter are being raised. And let's let's pass a rule saying any any of this meat that's sold in California, the animals have to be raised under this circumstance. Well, okay, that's all well and good, except that the meat that's coming to California, by and large, is coming from places like Iowa, and the Iowa farmers are saying we can't afford to do this unless we jack up our prices significantly. And by the way, it's almost impossible to do this just for California. We'd have to retrofit our entire operations, which means we would have to pass this cost on to consumers all across the country. And right now they are looking, starting January 1st, at enormous shortages of things like of different types of pork products and to a lesser extent eggs. They produce more eggs than they do pork in California. But regardless, the price of these things is going to go through the roof. Let's talk to uh, Matt in Milwaukee. Hi, Matt. You're on WTMJ. I find it interesting that a lot of the uh, conservatives who want to champion the free market in terms of not requiring things like workplace safety and things are the first to argue against it in this case. I would say, if anything, this is a shining example of where the free market should be allowed because you're going to have uh, people who are going to say they have to raise prices, but are they going to be willing to take a hit on 15% of the market? I'd be willing to bet there's going to be some smaller pork producers that are willing to specialize in selling in California because they're going to start growing their business based upon offering humane treatment of their animals, and they're going to see an opportunity for profit as a result of that. No, you know, I think it's... Uh, Matt, I think it's going to be exactly the opposite. I think what you're going to have is I think there's going to be a lot of the smaller pork producers who aren't going to be able to adapt to this. They're not going to be able to pay the costs, and they're going to either not do business in California or go out of business. I think it's going to be the, the giant 
agricultural for I mean, the, the, the big the, the big farm type of stuff that might be able to say, OK, we're going to carve out a, a certain portion of our facility and this is going to be exclusively for things in California and we'll charge California more money. Now, thanks. I mean, I just I, I think it's going to be exactly the opposite. I, I think and I think. Uh, I mean, the general consensus is that people agree that that's more likely to happen, that the small producers can't afford to invest an extra two or three million dollars in a requirement just for California. And so more likely than not, for people who do business in California, they're just not going to be part of that market anymore, which means it's going to be some of the big producing companies, which means the small farmers are going to get squeezed out, number one. And number two, the consumers in California are going to end up paying a, a lot more. Short term, it, short term, it's been funny because it hasn't helped any of if for the people who are concerned about the, the pigs and stuff because all they've done in California is they've increased their buying. We want to buy as much as we possibly can, get this stuff in now so we can freeze it so at least – you know, we, we have the stuff available for the next X number of months. Now, of course, what's that done? Well, because there's suddenly been this artificial demand that's been created, and by artificial I mean we're buying more than we really need because we want to stockpile it for the future, what that's done is it's created shortages, and anybody who's gone to the grocery store in the last I don't know, several months, and has wanted to buy pork chops or bacon, what you've seen is you've seen the price of that skyrocket. Now, there's a lot of different factors for it, but this is one of the contributing factors. There's there's many as well. As we all know, you know, inflation has gone through the roof. Joe Biden says, well, it's not a problem, nothing to see here. Well, if you're at the grocery store buying food, you may, in fact, disagree. So, Matt, you might end up being right, and this is a wonderful thing for the free market, and you're going to see specialty producers come in i don't think so i think it's going to be absolutely the opposite i think this is going to be a situation where because of government requirements you will drive small producers out of the market and again you'll have some of the these big huge producers that will set aside a a certain portion of their production facilities that'll comply with this but they'll squeeze out the small producers and the losers are going to be the consumers but i guess time will tell When we come back, Eric Bilstadt in for John McCure on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.